Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. And welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears. I'm Dominic Frisbee and it's my pleasure to be talking to Mike Hampton, a.k.a. Dr. Bub, who is in another continent. He's in Hong Kong. I'm in London. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm very well, Dominic. Good to be here. It's great to have you back. It's a long time since we've spoken. Now, these markets keep on going up. They are defying uh, the economics that uh, lie beneath and... Gold is going up, oil is going up, everything's going up except the dollar, which is falling. You've been bearish for quite some time. Where do you think we are now? Well, uh, you know, I, I think just to revisit where this sort of came from in terms of my own views on the market, uh, I think it was probably back in August or something. You know, we saw very, very high um, bullishness uh, and very uh, amazing bearishness on the U.S. dollar. I think we got down to 3% bulls on the U.S. dollar, and I felt at that point we were going to see uh, a turn. And, of course, uh, the dollars continued to show weakness since then. Uh, we're not massively lower than uh, than we were back in September uh, or so. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at the euro right now. The euro was at 148. It broke out over 150. Uh, yesterday and closed around 151 something. So that's not massively different from uh, September. Um, but of course, some of the markets, uh, not all of them, have had big moves. And I think the main mover has been gold, uh, which as we speak is very close to $1,200. I think it's 191 or 190 right now. Um, that's a huge move. Um, the other markets haven't moved quite as much, uh, and some of them actually haven't moved at all. Uh, stocks are higher, um, but I think if you look at the stocks, you're seeing a phenomenon you really see across the board in the markets. You're seeing a narrower and narrower buying interest. So, for example, the Dow is up, you know, around, uh, um, you know, its new highs, um, um, 11,000, uh, what's the, the actual level? It's, it's at new highs. The S&P is tying its highs. But other stocks uh, are quite a bit below them. I mean, the Russell, which is a very broad index, the Russell 2000, is, uh, is, is well off its lows. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a sort of series of non-confirmations in various markets. Also, uh, a lot of the foreign indices made their highs um, in mid-October. Yeah. So, you know, this, this kind of narrowing, uh, and by the way, there's been light volume um, throughout this rally. I mean, the, the light volume basically started in the summertime and has continued into the fall. Um, you know, this is not the stuff that sustainable bull markets are made out of. 
it's a stretched market. Um, I was just listening to Larry Pesavento, and he called it um, something like the, the you know the world's greatest ever distribution. Um, and you know, and that's what's going on. It, it you know it looks like the the big institutions, uh, the inside uh, commercial traders and so forth, uh, who trade the S and P futures contracts and so forth, they're getting out, um, and the public is coming in, and you know is probably going to be left holding the bag once again. Is there not um, something to the idea that because so many people were underexposed to this rally? Uh, they didn't want to sell what they have, and that's pushed prices higher. And also, because people haven't believed this rally, uh, they perhaps haven't bought into it, and that's another reason that volume's been lower. Well, yeah, you hear about that a lot. Um, but if you look inside the market, you see the, the broad measures, like the Russell 2000, are off their highs. People are selling those stocks and effectively, the, the buying interest is focused in a smaller and smaller number of stocks. Um, and it's the, that those small number of sort of blue chip stocks that are holding up the indices. Um, and, you know, and once those turn lower, then, uh, you know, the market's really going to be done. But, you know, it is interesting, um, you know, that if you look at, I mean, I like to say it's all about the dollar, sort of quoting Tom O'Brien. Um you know, it really it, is, though. Yeah. And, 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 you know, in one point on that, I think there's an amazing chart. I don't know if you've seen it, but I look at it every day. Um, there's something called the DXXD. What is that? Well, what that is, I'll tell you what it is, and I'll post a chart. Um, that is the U.S. dollar with a minus sign in front of it times two and a half. Okay? So, you know, basically, if you're, if you're short that... Um, and and the dollar um, rallies. Let me put that. Uh, uh, the do- let me put it another way. If you're long, if you're long that, and the dollar drops, you make money. And for every one percent move down in the dollar, you make two and a half percent. So that's that's what that is. And it's interesting that they have multiplied by two and a half percent because, you know, the the volatility of the dollar is is in the uh, and the moves in the dollar are less than moves in stocks. But by multiplying the moves by two and a half, you get a proxy for stocks. And you, you take this thing and you overlay it with the uh, S&P 500. And, you know, it looks like a hand and glove on top of each other. It's amazing uh, how close the correlation is. Now, what's interesting, and, you know, it's only one day, but yesterday we had, we had quite a big drop in the dollar. And, you know, we should have had, you know, like 200 point up day on the, on the Dow Jones, and it was up 30 points. Um, like I say, that's only one day, but there's something strange going on here in the last few days. So the, the, the stocks don't want to follow the cue of the weak dollar for some, for some reason. Um, another interesting thing that I'm noticing right now is that the bonds are strong. I mean, bonds were up, TLT was up, what was it, 40 44 or 48 ticks yesterday. And if you draw a trend line down from the low, um, I might have shown this to you yesterday briefly, that trend line was broken on the upside. We broke through it. Bonds mm-hmm. look like they want to go higher. Now, that's not what you normally see. I mean, normally um, bonds will be strong when uh, there's a move into the dollar. It's unusual to see bonds strong when you know people are moving out of the dollar. 
Um, you know, but the trends are, um, you know, it looks now like the dollar, the bonds want to go up. And a rise in bonds generally is associated with a weak stock market. So yesterday, we saw a relatively weak stock market, weaker than it should have been for the dollar move, and we saw strong bonds and a break of this uptrend. So, I, I you know, I don't want to make too much of a conclusion based on one day's move, but this is showing us something very interesting. And if this kind of movement continues, the erosion we've been seeing and narrowing of buying interest in stocks may be telling us that this thing in the stock market is just about over. Now, I, before, before I get too excited about that, I just want to mention one counterpoint. We saw a, a strong euro yesterday. We saw a weak dollar. The dollar broke through the recent lows. And there is a possibility that the dollar will continue to go down to 72. And Larry Pesavento mentioned a target maybe of 68 if we continue to break down. If we saw a move like that, it would be hard not to. Uh, it would be hard for me to imagine stocks not going higher. So we're in a very, very interesting juncture right here. Um, I don't think, you know, the days of quiet moves in the market uh, are, are over. Now, one more thing about the gold market. Now, again, here I'm going to quote Larry. I was just um, noticing uh, he mentioned something interesting that the gold price has been up 22 days in a row. Okay, and I, I think that's a new record, uh, or ties a, a record. The longest ever run in a commodity that he could find was 22 days up in sugar. Yeah. And what's interesting about that, and this doesn't mean it's going to happen with gold, but that 22 days in a row up in sugar was followed by 22 days down. And that was the high, the all-time high in sugar that, that he's talking about. Oh, sure. Commodities move a little bit differently than... Was that than, what, in 1971 or something? Whenever You know was. what? I, don't, I haven't seen the chart. I just yeah. heard him mention the statistic. Okay. Um, so, you know, and obviously 22 days up represent a kind of conviction, one-way move, flow into commodity that's pretty amazing. And it will be interesting to see the, uh, the, uh, the statistics and the uh, uh, commitment of traders report for this week. Um, to see, you know, how how, how big the longs are. Yeah, in, in gold. Larry's not right about that. Is there? No, what he's, you mean? gold hasn't been up twenty-two days in a row. Well, they've been. They've, well, I'm just looking at a chart here. There are just a couple of yeah. days, you know, odd days where it's slid back a bit. Um, All right. Well, I'll go. I'll go back and listen to that. I mean, I'm the chart I'm looking at. Um, yeah, I can see. Something like about November the 3rd, yeah. it was down, maybe November the 10th, something like that. Are you looking at GLD or are you looking at gold? Uh, I'm looking at gold on stock charts. Okay. Um, well, I'll go back and listen to that and see what he actually said. But I, it, it, uh, And I, I, I see what you're talking about now as I look at a chart. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know what he's looking at. He may be looking at a different measure of gold yeah. than you and I are looking at. Um, but it, you know it has had a big run since, uh, absolutely uh, yeah i mean that 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 statistic may be wrong, but the fact is it is it is exceeding even the wildest bull's expectations at the moment. you know when gold corrects, it can be very nasty, so it's uh, it's advisable you know maybe to take some profits perhaps or to to get your stops in tight if you're trading futures or spread betting or something yeah, I think you can put a stop in around uh eleven. 60 or something on it and uh 
I mean, look, if it goes parabolic, if the dollar drop happens here, you know, we can see another couple hundred dollars added to the gold price pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see that if I was a bull because it would probably kill this thing off. Uh, I mean, the healthiest thing in a way would be a pullback to 1000 or 1050 or something and, um, you know, into January or something. Yeah. That would actually be quite healthy for gold. But a blow off top here, you know, isn't what a bull should want to see. That's not what you want to see because if the dollar drops down to, you know, 72 or 68 or something um, and then the U.S. is forced to raise rates, you might get a pretty important top in, in, in gold. Here. Do you think um, if, if it drops below 72, the U.S. dollar, the, the Americans will be forced to, to raise rates? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're already looking pretty silly in, in talking about how – uh, they want a strong dollar when they're doing absolutely nothing to support the dollar. Um, and if the gold is, sorry, if the dollar is dropping to fresh lows, and uh, the nervousness we see here is, is you know, uh, you know, squared, um, then they're going to look even more ridiculous. I mean, what what I think it's interesting too that there's a kind of background here that uh, it looks like Tim Geithner is going to be forced out. There there's, uh, seems to be a media um, circus that's promoting Jamie, Jamie Dimon, who's obviously a very capable guy, as a Treasury Secretary. And uh, there's, there have been calls in Congress for Geithner to resign. So, you know, he, if the dollar were to drop, I mean, they would probably take, uh, take Geithner out and put somebody else in there as Treasury Secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know that might I would have thought that if if we did get this dollar drop and gold rally a couple hundred bucks, we probably would see Geithner pulled out and Diamond put, can't come in. And I think that would actually bring a lot of confidence in the market because uh, you know whatever you want to say about Geithner, I mean his level of experience and uh, everything is is considerably less than Jamie Diamond, who's uh, you know legend. What if I were to say to you that these rising markets that we're seeing across the board are nothing more than a symptom of inflation, of a symptom of all this quantitative easing that's gone on? Well, I mean, I'd have to agree with you. I mean, quantitative easing equals low interest rates, equals, you know, easy money for some. Um, then, yeah, sure, that's what's driving the markets higher. But the quantitative easing hasn't stopped, so therefore perhaps that impetus that's driving the markets higher uh, will continue. Well, look, the mess we had last year was driven, was caused by low interest rates and malinvestment. Oh, absolutely. And the, the, the low interest rates and, you know, we have now is creating another wave of malinvestment. Um, this is, the economy's not getting better, it's actually getting worse. Um, and the future of the economy is being made worse by this uh, ridiculously low interest rates. I mean, what we really need to do is we need to purge the markets of malinvestment and get rid of the unpayable debt. And we're doing the opposite. We're creating more malinvestments and adding on to the uh, debt that's not going to be repaid. That's not good. No. But, um, I mean, to, to use a crude example... The Zimbabwe stock market kept rising and it had nothing to do with the underlying economics. Uh, it was just simply to do with the weak currency. Well, I mean, in a way, that's a good comparison because, you know, you talk about malinvestment. Just look at the Zimbabwe economy. You know, economy, nothing, 
nothing made sense there, and it became a very distorted, uh, tiny cartoon of an economy over a period of time. And, you know, the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, are headed in that direction, too. And to some degree, China, um, although I think China's malinvestments are perhaps a bit less dangerous than they are in the mm -hmm. U.S. and the U.K. But, you know, I think that the problem is that the, the leadership coming out of Washington is so in, and and out of the UK too is so poor right now. It's 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 as if they really don't understand what makes a good economy, and they're doing everything to try and uh, validate the mistakes of the past rather than make the changes they need to do to make the health the economy more healthy. In a way, the one market that's telling the truth uh, about what's going on behind the scenes is gold. And Japan, um, yeah, um, gold, you know, is, is By, telling Because Japan's us, falling, you mean? Yeah, um, and, you know, Japan's facing some big problems now. And, I mean, let's talk about Japan for a second. We come back and talk about gold. I mean, Japan kind of shows what happens when you continue years and years and years of uh, zombieizing your economy. The, the, what's happened in Japan is the economy you know, is not very efficient. It's totally reliant on exports. The domestic economy doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's not working well. Um, and over the last many, many years, the government debt has continued to increase and increase and increase. And the level of debt in Japan is far heavier and higher than it is in the U.S. Um, so maybe Japan is showing us where we're headed, if we can if we continue quantitative easing and unhealthy economics, mm -hmm. um, so n now in Japan, Japanese debt, government debt has reached such a level that the whole tower looks as if it could collapse at any time, and uh, that's part of the reason that the stock market is going lower because those problems have become quite evident. Um, and you know, so I think the U.S. still has time to go on a different path. But it's not going to happen if we continue with this current leadership we have. I mean, really, what should be happening is the dollar should be falling and the stock market should be falling. Well, yes, and, and you, would, you would see that if interest rates were, were higher. I mean, the, the thing right now is the low interest rates um, make, make it easy to uh, borrow money. And the money is flowing somewhere. And, you know, it's like it's like, you know, the money is attracting money. It's the upward move in stocks have been attracting more money into the market. But what's really interesting is, and I think uh, Yelnick had this on his blog, and I pointed it out on my uh, my diary uh, yesterday. Um, the, the, uh, the thing that uh, was interesting that Yelnick said um, was that, you know, he picked up somebody called Yves, who uh, watches the bond market, and he just gave about five or six reasons why we might see an upturn in bonds. And one of the interesting ones was that the, the people who are long bonds right now are the insiders, the sort of market makers in bonds, the dealers. But the banks aren't. The banks, you know, have been using the cheap money they're getting from the government uh, to bet on stocks. And apparently the leverage ratios of Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and some of the other banks are back to very high levels. And they have very big speculative positions on. Now, if the stock market starts to come down, that's going to create you know, a, a momentum in the opposite direction. 
And you might see people moving out of, uh, of stocks and into bonds. And that's why I found it so interesting that we saw a break in the downtrend, the, the, the downtrend in bonds. So, uh, and by the way, you said we were talking about how interest rates were too low. What's interesting is the bond interest rates, like the 10-year bond interest rate, are 3-point-something percent, um, whereas short-term rates of three months are pretty close to zero, okay? So people haven't really been so much in the longer-term instruments. They've been in the shorter-term instruments. So move out of stocks and out of shorter-term instruments into longer-term instruments is a move into safety um, that you see often when stock markets uh, drop. So we, here we are. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, we could see another leg down in the dollar, and we could see uh, a bit more unhealthy movement into the stock market. Um, but I think that path will lead to a new Treasury Secretary and, uh, you know, uh, the U.S. trying to uh, save its international reputation by getting rid of Mr. Geithner. What if I said to you that the U.S. long-term bond is forming a massive head-and-shoulders pattern and it's almost finished on the right shoulder? Well, it's broken the downtrend, and you know, money—it was up yesterday. Money flowed into it. Um, yeah, I think I mean, before what, before before you believe that too much, read read the five or six reasons from Yves, which make a lot of sense to me. Mm. I mean, one one of the important ones, the one he leads off with, is that the um, the 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 inflation, the real adjusted yield of bonds, is at a record high. You know, if you, you take the low inflation rates we have and you compare them with uh, the bond yields, we've got, in fact, negative inflation. We've got a record high, statistically, we do, in, in bond yields. Um, and, you know, look, I, I, I'm not bullish on bonds for a very long time. And at some point, I think bonds are going to be a wonderful short. Um, but we could have a rally in the dollars and we could have a rally in bonds as shorts are covered and people flow into this asset class. I mean, I think we could be having a conversation, you know, the exact reverse of this, maybe in March or sometime next year, where we're talking about how this bond rally is ending. And, you know, I might be early again, um, where the bond market is, and it's time to, to, to get back into gold and, and short the dollar. Um, that we could see that kind of flip-flop over a period of six months or something. Um. The head of the IMF said, uh, I read a news article yesterday, uh, that uh, as much as 50% of banks' losses uh, may still be concealed and, and yet to come out into the open, yet to be declared, and that the European banks are going to be the worst hit. Moreover, we see... That Dubai the is uh, struggling is, is is effectively Dubai is bankrupt. Would you care to talk about those two bits of news and and how they may impact things? Sure. I mean, all the banks uh, were given uh, a, a change, an accounting change, which allowed them to carry a lot of their assets at cost rather than at mark to market, and that took a lot of pressure off their balance sheets at the beginning of. 2009 and you know it's helped to inspire this big rally but if you wrote a lot of these assets to you know realistic market prices quite a number of big banks would be insolvent um, and that's true in the US and it's also true in Europe and some of the European banks have recently announced that they're raising new capital 
to bolster their balance sheet. And funnily enough, the, uh, the banks in China are doing the same thing because they've lent far too much money and their capital ratios are out of whack. So all over the world, and I think this is one reason the financial uh, uh, stock indices have been weak the last uh, several weeks, um, you know, banks are raising capital, and that means, uh, you know, downwards pressure on this, the stock prices. Now, the European banks, I think, have a long, long way to go um, because they have a lot of hidden problems in their books. I mean, you look at Spain, uh, there's some big problems in Spanish real estate, Irish real estate, um, the whole of, uh, of the Baltic and, uh, and Balkan countries uh, are in, in deep trouble. Um, and then, then you look at what's the worst property market in the world. And I don't remember the exact statistic, but the, the, uh, the, uh, property market in Dubai has fallen by about 50%. Uh, I think it was 50% plus since it's high about a year or so ago. Um, that's the worst performing property market in the world right now. And of course, um, since you've had a massive number of developments underway out there, um, the banks that were financing those developments are, are suffering. And um, so Dubai has had to uh, refinance, I think it was $20 billion, of which they refinanced $10 billion of that um, a few weeks ago, leaving $10 billion. And then yesterday they announced that they, they, they strong-armed the Abu Dhabi banks into giving them $5 billion. And there's $5 billion they're not going to be able to refinance at all. And they basically asked their lenders um, to agree to a standstill agreement until, I think it's March next year or maybe it's May next year. Um, you know, and that's, that's a country in real trouble. And it's only because the other Gulf nations still have a lot of money and didn't play this debt in the property game to the same extent. They can be bailed out by their neighbor uh, in Abu Dhabi for the time being. But, uh, I mean, longer term, I mean, the problem that you have in Dubai is that you have a huge amount of debt. And then you have all these properties, including uh, the uh, Burj Dubai, which is the world's tallest building. It's, you know, being completed now and is officially opening, uh, I think, in January. Um, all these huge, huge buildings that are being completed now, and they have lots of debts already put into them. Um, and, and these buildings are going to be standing there empty. And as they fill up, they're going to be attracting, you know, people from older buildings. Um, and then those older buildings will be empty as this one fills up. So, you know, where's the cash flow going to come from, uh, you know, from tenants to, uh, to pay for this debt when you have a massive increase in supply like that rents go down. Yeah. And the number of people who are actually paying rent isn't changing. So your net revenues um, for rental is actually declining at a time when you've got a massive amount of additional debt to, uh, to repay. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the real, you know, that was sort of the ground zero, the epicenter of property speculation in the world uh, was Dubai. And so that's going to be a very interesting place to watch. Um, and I think that the U.K. is another epicenter of uh, property, uh, um, you know, speculation. But I, don't, I think we should, probably shouldn't go there because then we could go on far too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And I'm just looking at the uh, at the banking index, the BKX. And, and yeah, that is that is considerably lower than its um, 
October highs, despite the the stock market retesting its its old highs. Well, yes, and, and you know, if you look at XLF, you'll see the same thing. It peaked in the uh, and the semiconductors the, as well, didn't they? Fourteenth of October in Goldman Sachs, which is a key component of the XLF, that peaked around the same time. It's far off its uh, its highs, um, and yes, semiconductors are looking weak. The Russell's looking weak. Um, energy stocks now have have gone weak. Um, you know, it's there aren't that many stocks which are holding the market up. It's the Dow stocks and a few stocks like Google and Apple. So, what uh, trades would you be making now? Would you would you be selling? Would you be taking profits? Would you be well? You wouldn't be a buy and holder because that's not really your style. But what what trades would you be making now? I'm buying uranium stocks right now. I've been buying, you know, not in a huge way, but I've been buying a few little chipping away here and there. One of the ones I like, Pine Tree, uh, has had a nice move up. Um, I didn't get much of that, to be honest. Uh, but that's had a nice move up, and that's gold and uh, uranium, so mm-hmm. uh, energy and uh, gold. Um, yeah, so, but I've been chipping away, at, and, and some of the uranium stocks look pretty cheap right now, and I, I'm mainly, mainly buying a bunch of tiddlers. I probably don't want to mention the names here because they're pretty small stocks, and they are quite risky. Yeah, um, but it, you know, uranium itself. Um, what is the symbol in Canada? I think it's U. Yeah, um, in Canada, that actually I, kind of, I rather like the looks of that chart. Yeah, and you know, I like to buy things that are out of favor. So uh, yeah, um, I'm I'm buying I'm buying this. Um, I think the secret is to buy things that are out of favor, and that also that people aren't talking about, and uh, just nobody's talking about uranium at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's been a kind of of hype and uh, a lot of interest in rare earths mm. and I think the rare earth story is a very interesting one in fact I hope we can get on uh, somebody who's a rare earth expert who I met here in Hong Kong who, who might be uh, willing to do an interview here I think it'd be interesting for people to hear that story and that you know if we get a pullback here in the markets that might be something interesting to look at the rare earth stocks mm. um, but I wouldn't be buying them here uh, because they've already had uh, had their big run. So l- looking for those things that are out of favor and, uh, you know, energy could be interesting here. I, I sort of feel, feel we're going to get a breakdown in the energy pretty yeah. soon. I, I um, just, just to touch on, uh, on rare earths, I see a lot of parallels between rare earths and uranium in about 2004, 2005. Yes, and if you read some of the statements coming out of Jim Dines, uh, yeah. who... Who called it well this year? Who got in at a good time into the rare earths? Yeah, has made a lot of money. But it looks some of his statements look and sound similar to you know his late statements and late in the game in the uranium market. And uh, so that's a good place to take profits. Uh, in fact, I think they're already a little off their highs. Those stocks. Yeah, they've they've topped in October as well. Um, so you know, I, I'll tell you what I'm I'm doing actually is. You know, I'm sitting on some cash. Um, I'm continuing to hold. Actually, I have—I I think I have my record ever levels of cash, and uh, I'll be raising more cash as I sell. Uh, hopefully, uh, another one or two properties in Hong Kong, and the cash now is split um, between U.S. dollars, Canadian dollars, and Hong Kong dollars, which is probably. A, but I've got some Hong Kong dollar debts, so that's really uh, money available to repay debt if I should choose to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't think 
one should be embarrassed about holding cash. If you're lucky enough to be in gold, um, then you probably want to ride it with a stop. Um, but uh, I feel, you know, I'm going to be very happy I have my cash sometime in the next few months. Okay. Well, I hope you're right. Good luck. And, um, Mike, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, why don't you give out your website address? Yes, people can find uh, the website by going to globaledgeinvestors.com. All right, well, good stuff. And, uh, Mike, come, come, on, come on the show again soon, and, and uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. My pleasure as well. It was great to be here. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 